may have made this statement uh, here before, but I often make this statement, not often, but occasionally when I'm able to make it, I make this statement. Some music entertains and some music prepares. And that song prepared my heart. I, I'm really grateful for that. Thank you so much. I, very, very well done with the right uh, spirit. Tonight, we're going to use our Bibles uh, quite a bit. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is, in the beginning, to, to start with, I'm going to ask you to open to three different places, if you would. Open, uh, first of all, to the uh, book of James, chapter 3. If you'd open there, please. We're just going to find that in the uh, New Testament towards the end of the New Testament. If you come to the book of Concordance, you went too far. <laughs> but if you'll open to the book of James chapter 3 and mark that, uh, once you find James chapter 3, then if you would turn uh, back to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. There's several Howells Anderson graduates here tonight, and I wanted to use a book in the Bible that they could find. And so I'm <laughs> using Genesis chapter 13. <laughs> and then finally, if you'll go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to start there, and then we'll use the other two scriptures in a few minutes. Each time we have the privilege of being here in your church, there's always many, many things that uh, are an encouragement to us and a blessing to us, to Mrs. Young and me. But on that long list of many things, um, I will include the fact that uh, usually when we come, when we get to our hotel room, there's some nice things prepared for us. Occasionally, not often, but occasionally I go to speak somewhere or, or maybe I'm just traveling somewhere, not, not specifically speaking for someone. And I just check in a hotel room and you go in and it's just, you know, it's just a bed, it's just a dresser. And, and you, you know, it, but boy, when you walk in and someone's got a CD player playing some nice Christian music and, and there's some snacks on the counter there and there's some drinks waiting for you and a nice little note and a gift or two and uh, just makes such a huge difference. And I want to—I know that many of you were involved in making all that possible and I want to thank you uh, for your sacrifice and for your thoughtfulness to, to add that to our trip. And Mrs. Young and I have enjoyed being here very much and we, we're especially grateful that you include the fact that you allow her to come with me. That's not always possible for some churches. They just can't afford it and so forth. But we're very grateful that you allow us that privilege. All right. Did I talk long enough for the uh, House Anderson graduates to find all three scriptures? You got them? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a hard one. <laughs> all right. We're going to begin in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And we're going to begin with verse 9. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says, "Better are uh, a Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. What that is saying is if you get two people to work together, they'll have a better reward or they'll make more profit uh, than if two people try to work singularly by themselves. Suppose you had two carpenters. And suppose you had two vacant lots, and suppose you had two 
blueprints and you were going to build two houses and one carpenter built this house while the other carpenter built that house. Can you imagine how much quicker they could get the two houses built if the two carpenters built this house first and then the two carpenters built that house second? Oh, my goodness, how much quicker they'd get it done and what a better job they would do and they'd get a better reward for their labor. That's what that verse is saying. Verse 10 says, For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they will have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord who is uh, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That verse twelve there is saying, if I have a enemy that's going to attack me, and you have an enemy that's going the same enemy that's going to attack you. If we face him each alone, if I face the enemy, he has a 50-50 chance of defeating me. Then if he faces you alone, he has a 50-50 chance of defeating you. But if the two of us would get together and then he comes to attack both of us, we have a much better than 50-50 chance of winning the battle. And if we can find a third person to join with us and the three of us withstand his attack... He hardly has a chance whatsoever. Proverbs, I mean, uh, Psalms, don't turn there, but Psalms, um, uh, let me get my reference right quick. Psalms, um, uh, one, don't turn, but Psalms 133.1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, you're going to feel like for a few moments tonight that I'm just bouncing all over the whole Bible tonight and like a marble in a pinball machine, just bouncing around tonight. But stay with me, and I think we'll tie all this together eventually. With what I just said about the being better for two or three to work together, let me ask you this question. In your own mind, if you were asked this question, how would you answer? Don't answer out loud, but how would you answer this question? Who was more blessed, Abraham or Lot? Now remember Lot, at one time, uh, he was mocked by his sons-in-law. At one time, Lot lost all that he had. At one time, Lot's wife was turned to a pillar of salt. At one time, Lot's own daughters abused him. Now Abraham, on the other hand, was the father of the nation of Israel. He was the father of the Jewish race. He was a friend of God. The Bible said the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. Now, in your own mind, don't answer out loud, but who do you think was more blessed, Abraham or Lot? Now, keep that question in mind and look at Genesis chapter uh, 13. Uh, yeah, Genesis chapter 13. And I'm going to begin with... Uh, Verse 1, and Abram, or Abraham as his name was changed to later, and Abram, or Abraham, went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was, notice this phrase, very rich in cattle, in silver, 
and in gold. So we notice there that Abraham was very rich. Brother Rob, could you turn me down just a little bit tonight? I mean, just a hair, if you would. Thank you so much. And uh, notice that Abraham was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. Then verse 3, And he went to, uh, on his journey from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto a place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram, or Abraham, called on the name of the Lord, now notice this, and Lot also which went with Abraham, Abram or Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. You notice the significant difference there? Abraham was very rich in gold and silver and cattle and Lot had tents and herds and cattle also. See the difference? See the, the significant difference? Abraham was very rich. Lot had some tents and some cattle and some sheep. Okay, keep that in mind now. Now look at verse 6. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great. The combined total of their substance was so great they couldn't dwell in the land together. Not that they had an equal amount. Abraham had much more than Lot had. Abraham was very rich. Lot had some tents and some cattle. See the difference. But the combined total of their substance was so great they couldn't dwell in the land together. Verse 8. And Abram's, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's go back to verse 7. And there was, uh, no, I'm sorry, back to verse 6. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together for their substance was, was uh, great so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram or Abraham's cattle of uh, uh, Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt, uh, dwelled then in the land and Abram said unto Lot let there be no strife I pray thee between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen for we be brethren is not the whole land before thee separate thyself I pray thee from me if thou wilt take the left hand then I will go to the right or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, who was more blessed, Abraham or Lot? Let's answer the question. Who was more blessed, Abraham or Lot? It was Abraham. Abraham obviously was. Now, let me ask you this question. When Abraham and Lot could not dwell together because their substance was so great that their herdmen were bickering with each other, who came up with a solution? Who offered a possible peace who, who was the peacemaker between the two of them? Abraham was. Oh, so maybe when Jesus preached his first sermon that was recorded, I don't know if it was his first sermon, but the first one that was recorded, when Jesus made the statement, blessed are the peacemakers, maybe he knew what he was talking about. Because the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. And who was more blessed, Lot or Abraham? Abraham, who offered the peace? Who came up with the solution? Who, who was the peacemaker between the two? It was Abraham. Offenses are going to come. The Bible says, Jesus said, 
Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. Jesus Christ himself said, it's going to happen. If you get people together, they're going to offend each other. A family, they're going to offend each other. Relatives, they're going to offend each other. Sunday school members, they're going to offend each other. Church members, they're going to offend each other. Neighbors, they're going to offend each other. Co-workers, are going to offend each other. Uh, when you get a group of people together, somebody's going to get offended. It must happen. But Jesus said, uh, Woe unto the man by whom the offense cometh. Offenses are going to come. Man is going to offend each other. People are going to offend each other. But the question is this, when someone does get offended, who's going to be the one that offers the peace? Who's going to be the one that becomes the peacemaker? One of the main skills or the main ingredients or one of the best abilities that you need to be successful in life a successful Christian, a successful leader, a successful person, uh, a successful team member, one of the greatest abilities you need to develop in life is the ability to become a peacemaker. And there will never be a lack for a peacemaker. If you learn to be a peacemaker, there will never be a time that you'll be unemployed. <laughs> There'll never be a, a, a time when, well, we don't need peacemakers anymore. You know, we may not need welders as much next week as we did this week. We may not need plumbers as, next, as much next year as we do this year. We may not need carpenters as much or truck drivers as much. Or there may be a time when you don't need a secretary. But there'll never be a time you don't need a peacemaker. Jesus said offenses must come. And if you're, you say, no, you know, Brother Young, I, I'm, I'm not sure uh, that... that uh, that, that my success is going to depend on whether I'm a peacemaker because you know, I, my success is going to depend on whether or not God blesses me. Well, who did it say God was going to bless? Blessed are the peacemakers. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to give you quickly, I'm going to give you nine things not to do if you're going to be a peacemaker. Now, as I often do, I have 14 other things that you should do to be a peacemaker, but we won't have time to give you those tonight. We may give you those some other time. But tonight, I'm going to give you nine things that if you will not do these things, you'll get a head start on becoming a peacemaker. I'm going to give them to you quickly. Number one, don't tell the negative truth that you know. If you know some truth that is negative, don't tell it. And by the way, you only know it's true if you saw it with your own eyes or the person who did it admits to you they did it. If there's some negative truth out there, it, 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 look, it, there's just no need for you to tell it unless I'll give you an, an exception or two in a few minutes. But can you imagine, can you just, I just wonder how much fussing, how much fighting, how much envy and jealousy and strife and chaos and confusion and misunderstandings and hurt feelings and offenses could be, a, could be avoided if I just would not tell the negative truth that I know. You know, I know that Brother Freddie said something negative about Brother Fesh, but if I don't tell Brother Fesh, they won't get offended with each other. You know, Brother Freddie can just, can just say all the negative he wants to about Brother Vasek, but if I don't tell Brother Vasek he said it, Brother Vasek won't get offended. 
Don't tell the negative truth that you know. That leads me to number two. Don't listen to negative truth. Don't listen to it. You know, even if it's true, you don't need to know it unless the person affected by it is officially seeking your, what I'm going to say, I'm going to call it professional help. Now, I don't mean professional like a lawyer. I don't mean professional like a doctor. But I mean unless you're the person to whom this person should come for help, you don't need to know it. You know, sometimes the pastor needs to know. Sometimes mom needs to know that something happened to one of the children. Sometimes uh, the boss on the job needs to know something. But unless you're the one to whom they should come for their help, that you, you don't need to know it. Let it be known. You don't want to hear it. You know, the Bible says, As a north wind driveth away rain, so does an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. I was in a situation just a few months ago. I was with a group of men, and we were going to go in a restaurant and sit down and eat. And it uh, just so happened that uh, this one other man and I were the first two in line, and I, I was the first one. <laughs> I was the first one in line. We were going to eat. <laughs> and, and, and I went through the line and got my food, and I went and sat down. And this other man came, a well-known man. Uh, if I called his name, many of you would have heard his name before. And he came, and he sat down across the table in front of me. I had my first spoonful right here. I was just, just right there. Just, and he sat down and the first words out of his mouth was he started telling me something negative about some other people. And I just stopped. I didn't say a word. I just froze in mid-bite and I just gave him that look that said in bold capital letters, I don't need to hear this. That's all I did. I just told him with my eyes, there's no need for me to hear this. I don't need to know that. And he stopped mid-sentence and he said, well, it's true and I just and he never we were together three days he never brought it up again in my presence of the whole three days we were there let it be known that you don't want to hear it don't tell the negative truth you know and and if you're if you're not going you know if you're not going to tell the negative truth that you know well it's better off that you don't even know it you can't tell negative truth if you don't know negative truth so don't listen to negative truth number 3 don't want to know negative truth hey isn't it amazing how much we enjoy knowing negative stuff isn't it amazing how many times it just kind of makes us feel better that now I'm in on it. I know that. I know it too. You know, I didn't get left out. I know what's going And you know, you can change your appetite. You know, you can, you can actually change. You know, I, I, I'll admit to you, there, there was a time in my life, of most of my life, that I was, and I'm going to use the word addicted, and I mean it on purpose. I'm not, I'm not just being silly when I say that. I was addicted to sugar. I mean, I grew up in the South. My mother, she didn't make sweet tea. She made sweet syrup and served it to us over ice for supper. <laughs> you, you know, and, and, and every morning was a syrup on our pancakes. And every day at lunch, there was a dessert. And every afternoon when I came home from school, there was ice cream. And every night, there was a dessert for supper. And every night, there was more ice cream before I went to bed. And, I mean, I was addicted to sugar. I mean, until I was, okay, Christmas Day, 2003, I told my wife, I'm going to get off sugar. And so I pigged out all day Christmas Day. 
I didn't want to hurt her feelings. <laughs> and I haven't had sugar from then to now. I had a headache nonstop 24 hours a day for three days as I withdrew from sugar. I panically craved it for three months. Just every day, every thought was, how can I get my hands on some sugar? Do I really want to do this? Would anybody know if I ate that? That probably doesn't have very much sugar in it. Just three months, it took me a whole year to get to the point where I just didn't want it anymore. I mean, today, 13, 14, 15 years later, I don't want sugar anymore today than I want a cigarette. In fact, I'd rather have a cigarette. No, I'm just kidding. But, but uh, you, you, you can change your appetite. Every one of us enjoy hearing negative news unless you change your appetite on purpose and get to the point to where you just don't want to hear it anymore. Number four, don't listen to or tell what might be true. I said don't tell negative truth. I said don't listen to negative truth. I said don't want to know negative truth. But worse than that, we often tell what might be true. We don't even know if it's true or not, but it might be, so we tell it. Number five, don't listen to or tell or repeat rumors. Well, what's the difference in what might be true and a rumor? Well, what might be true might be true. But a rumor, we pretty well know it's not, but we just enjoy listening to it. We pretty well know it's not true, but we just enjoy telling it because somebody told us, and I'm not lying, somebody told me this. But we pretty well know it. You know, you know what it is most of the time? It's we just enjoy the rush uh, of, of, you know, the, of, of what, wouldn't it be something if that really was true about her? <laughs> wouldn't it be something if he really did do that? And it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like when somebody goes to, to the casino to go gambling, you know. They, they know they're not going to win. They know the odds are against them. If the odds weren't against them, the place would go out of business. They know the odds are against them. But it's the rush that they enjoy. Uh, well, I mean, le- I, at least that's what Brother Kagan told me. That's, that's the way you feel. But, but, but it's just that rush of I might win. And, and it's just that rush of, of wouldn't it be something if that was true. Number six, don't give your uninformed opinion of the probable cause. How many times have I said, and I've confessed this to my wife more than once, you know, go back the next day and say, I want to kind of apologize to you for what I said yesterday. But how many times have I said in my lifetime when somebody told me, did you know that so-and-so did such-and-such? And And the next words out of my mouth is, well, I'll tell you why he did it. How do I know why he did it? I can't read his mind. I don't know his heart. He doesn't even know his own heart. How am I going to know his heart? I wasn't there when it happened. I never met the guy. <laughs> He's on the other side of the world, but I heard some story about him, and I'll tell you why he did it. I'm sure you've never been guilty of that, have you? <laughs> Tonight's a night for me to confess my sins. Number seven, don't give your opinion of the motive. Don't give your uninformed opinion about why it happened and then don't give your opinion of the motive. You know, there's only one person in this world who knows the real motive why something was done. It's him. I mentioned a moment ago, we don't even know our own heart. Now, the only person on this earth who has an educated guess as to why 
he did what he did is the person who did it. But the only person who knows for sure why he did it is him. So why am I telling you the motive behind it when I don't even know the motive behind what I did? I don't even know why I did what I did sometimes. Number eight. Number seven was don't give your opinion of the motive. Number eight, do not allow yourself to form an opinion. You know, you don't have to have an opinion about everything that happens. Now, I talked the other night about us all wanting to have an opinion about everything, and we usually do, but you don't have to. You know, one of my favorite answers to give is when somebody says to me, somebody asks me, do you know why so-and-so did such and such? No, I don't have any idea. That usually stops the conversation. That usually ends it right there. Don't give your opinion of the, uh, of the motive and don't allow yourself to want an opinion. Then number nine, and by the way, don't get as encouraged as you think you are that I'm already at number nine. I do have a conclusion. <laughs> number nine, don't listen to other people give their opinion of the cause or the motive. Psalm 37.7, Psalm 37.37, don't turn to it, but Psalm 37.37 says, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. You know, the more mature we become, And the more upright we become, the more often we will be able to end a situation peacefully. How many times have you gotten into a tense situation and the way it ended was you both just walked away and tense as you could be and angry and upset and it just didn't end good. You ever ever been in a situation and you felt like that just didn't end good? But the next time you were in that situation, if you used what you learned from the last time, you got a little closer to it ending a little more peacefully this time than it did last time. And the next time a little more peacefully. And the next time a little more peacefully. The Bible said mark the perfect man, which means a mature man, and behold the upright for the end of that man is peace. The more mature you become, the more upright you become, the better chance you'll have of ending your situations peacefully. Remember what Paul said? If it be possible... You know, even God knows sometimes it is not possible to end a situation peacefully. But he said, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And now tonight, since you made the mistake of coming tonight, you have nine more ingredients that lieth within you that you can use, that you're now obligated to use to end your situations more peacefully. More lieth in you now than it did before you came tonight. Now turn to James chapter 3 and we'll end up here. And sincerely, we won't be much longer. As Brother Vasek mentioned Sunday, I rarely ever preach long sermons. I've heard you have to study to preach long sermons and I'm not about to start doing that. (laughs) James chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 2. James chapter 3 verse 2 says, For in many things we offend all. 
If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. You remember what it said a moment ago? The perfect man and the upright man, his, he, he, his end is peacefully. And this says that, the, uh, th- that uh, if any man offend not in word, the same is perfect or mature. Uh, he's a mature man and able also to bridle his whole body. All right, look down now if you would to verse 13. Who is, who is a wise man or who is this perfect man or who is this mature man, all right? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if, you remember the verse that says contention cometh only by pride? But this mature man, he handles things with, with wisdom, the, uh, meek wisdom, Verse 14, but if, ye have, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above. What wisdom? The wisdom that brings you to strife. The wisdom that includes bitter envying. He said, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. It's pure. It hasn't been listening to negative. It's pure. It doesn't know all the negative. It's pure. Its motives are right. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Can somebody speak to you without you losing your temper? Can somebody easily come to you and and find that you're full of mercy and full of good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy? Do the words... All right, skip down now, if you would, to, uh, no, I'm sorry, let me, I'm sorry, let me do this. Look at me for a moment. I want to make three statements, and again, I promise you, we're, we're going to be brief. I'm not one of these speakers that close 16 times and end an hour later. <laughs> but I'm going to give you three statements about the people with whom I have dealt in my 47 years of being in the ministry. I would dare say there's probably not more than about a dozen men, if that many, alive today who have dealt with more people than I have in the fundamental ministry, in, in the fundamental Baptist ministries. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Clarence Sexton, I'm sure he has. Bobby Robertson, I'm sure he has. Uh, Jack Treber, I'm sure he has. Paul Chappell, I'm sure he has. But I don't think I could name more than about a dozen men that have dealt with more you know, I used to bring 10,000 people. I say, I brought them, Brother Dan Kagan and Brother Joe Vasek and Brother Fesh and others that were there in school, Brother Fred, that they brought them. But I oversaw the bringing of 10,000 people to church on some given Sundays. I did that for 26 years. Of the people that I have dealt with in the 47 years I've been in the ministry, I want to make three statements. Number one, very few people have come to me with hurt feelings because of what someone said to them. Very few times has that happened. Very few times has somebody come to me upset and hurt because of what somebody said to them. Number two, but many people have come to me with hurt feelings 
because of what they assumed was meant by what was said to them. They weren't upset about what was said. They were upset about what they assumed the person meant by what he said. And then number three, most of the people who have come to me upset with hurt feelings, it is because of what a third party told them someone did or said about them. Very few have come to me and said, I'm upset because so-and-so told me such and such. But I've had a lot of people come to me upset because they assumed so-and-so meant by what he said. But most of the people who have come to me upset and needed my help, it's been because they heard somebody said something. They were told somebody did something. I, I don't know how many times I've said to somebody, did you hear him say that? No. Well, then do you know for sure he said it exactly like that with those exact words, with the tone of voice you're using right now? Are you sure that's what he said? Well, so-and-so told me he did. Yeah, but have you ever gotten it a little bit wrong when you tried to interpret what somebody said to somebody else? Have you ever misquoted them just a little bit? Is there any possibility that maybe he didn't say it exactly like that? Maybe those weren't the exact words he used. And it calmed them down. And it was, oh, okay, well, maybe not. Now look at verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Look at me, if you would, please. Do your words that you sow and the words that you commonly hear, do they bring peace? Remember, the end of the perfect man, the end of the upright man is peace. Proverbs 20 verse 3 says, It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. Every fool will be meddling by wanting to know and listening to and telling negative truth. Every fool will be meddling by listening to and repeating rumors. Every fool will be meddling by giving his opinion of the cause or the motives. And I've been guilty of every one of those. And I suspicion there may be somebody else here tonight who has been also. Blessed are the peacemakers. Or blessed is the peacemaker. Do you want to be blessed? Then as much as lieth in you, become a peacemaker. In your family, in your Sunday school class, on your job, in your youth department, on your bus route, in your church, in your choir, on your team, in your neighborhood, in your class, at your school, at your family reunion, be the peacemaker. And you'll be the one blessed. I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed. We could resolve every church.